This compelling account of eccentricity and witchcraft in the 1950s and 60s revolves around two principal characters, Rex Nemerensis, Charles Cardell, son of an internationally famous Victorian stage magician, and Ray Howard, owner of the Head of Atho, a representation of the Horn God of the Witches, reputedly over 2,000 years old. From the luxury of his country estate, Cardell trot his own unique path of modern witchcraft, the reality of which was effectively put on trial in a high court libel case brought against a major newspaper following an article by two reporters who had hidden near Charles' sacred grove. What they witnessed would change Cardell's life forever. This book, based on new research, explores their fascinating lives and examines their writings and relationships with other witches, including Gerald Gardner and Doreen Valiente. For the first time, the writings of the Coven of Atho are reproduced. They reveal its previously hidden gems and provide a workable form of witchcraft blended with Druidic influences. The glistening strands of this story are woven into the large history of the origins of modern witchcraft in Britain. Here be magic. This is not going to be a straightforward journey, and ultimately it is up to you, the reader, to make of it what you will. Do you believe in magic? I do. I do. I do. Melissa Sims. Witch is a slang term, a debased form of witchen, meaning wise, to have knowledge, from an early Celtic word meaning truth. To speak of witch as if it had the same meaning as witchen is like treating the traveling medicine man and the backstreet abortionist on the same level as the Harley Street specialist. Unknown to the majority of people, all over the British Isles there are witchens dwelling among us. There are witchens dwelling among us, carrying through to the best of their ability their simple, beautiful traditions and rituals harming no one and helping many through their ancient craft. Owing to the indiscriminate persecution of both the good and the bad in the early history of our country, the witchens are scattered and still shy about coming into the open, and consequently much of their lovely rituals have been lost. Charles Gardell Tell me about Melissa I think when I was younger, I was always very spiritual and uh, I was brought up and I used to go to Sunday school in a Baptist church um, and I would say my prayers and everything every night. But I also loved nature. And as I got older and teenager years, I naturally gravitated towards sort of paganism and things like that. But I'm also really interested in science as well. I've been an astronomer for many years. Um, so I, I think I'm perhaps a bit strange in that I walk the sort of science and spirituality path alongside each other. I live in Leicestershire, um, I've got two daughters, um, so I've investigated and been involved in witchcraft and so a few different magical orders now for over 30 years. 
And I've always liked people's stories, interesting stories, especially stories of the underdogs, the people that buck against, you know, the mainstream. I've always liked that, considered myself a bit of a rebel when I was a, was a teenager. And that's kind of, uh, mostly, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. But through paganism, I found my way into, into witchcraft and, and found a, a, an early high priest of the Wicca, Charles Clark. That's a whole different story, well, which um, people can read on my website if they're interested in it. You but do have a website. You have a website uh, that is, again, we talked about your work, and I included the website in it because it's extraordinary the amount of information you have in there. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the website and where, where what is the... Oh, so, so my, my website, I think I set it up in about 2007, I think. So that's the wicker with one C.co.uk. The whole thing about the one C wicker is a bit of a hobby horse of mine because my high priest was most insistent it was one C. And in fact, when you go back to the early documents, the late 50s, it was always one C. But at some point it's transformed and now a lot of modern witches refer to it as Wicca with two C's. So, yeah, so on my website, I, I, just, I mean, I've just put, put together like newspaper clippings. Melissa Harrington was given a, a Dorian Valley Entry scrapbooks, um, which are all the news, news cuttings across, I think, 40 or 50 years they span. And I got permission from her to, to put some of them on. And I, w I was getting very interested in the history it was in connection with Charles Clark, because when I appeared on the scene, nobody had heard of him. And some people were a bit like, you know, who are you? We don't know who Charles Clark was. So I set about, you know, uh, proving and, and going to people and finding the information. And then I was finding letters and, you know, it was beyond a doubt. I mean, I knew he was genuine because when I met Charles, he was pulling letters out of his drawer from people like Gardner and, and Valiente. So, yes, yeah, so my very first article was actually about Charles Clark, but that was prompted by the sad loss of my high priest who I'd been working with, who tragically died in a motorbike accident. He was, he was knocked off his motorbike by a drunk driver. And um, him and I had always said, you know, we should really write something about Charles Clark and, and bring him into the, you know, into the history of, of modern witchcraft. And then when he died, I thought, right, that's it, I've got to do this. And, and then I kind of just became obsessed, quite obsessed really about the history of witchcraft generally. And I think it's quite important because, especially when you compare things like to other world religions, like the Bible and how things got changed and messed around with and codified and taken out and put in. And I, I think it's, it's really important to try and keep true. Uh, so I like truth, the quest, the quest for truth, but, um, but then the truth is so often subjective anyway. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of it. So on my website, it's, it's kind of a historical website. I don't give rituals or anything like that. It's just for people who are interested in, in uh, what, what, you know, what has led to what's now, I think, recognised as a religion in some countries, I think in America. Um, although I don't think it's recognised officially as a religion in this country yet. But um, yeah, and also, I mean, the census statistics as well, the numbers of pagans going up has, has gone up year on year. I'm, I'm waiting for, this UK census was done last year and uh, the results aren't out yet for religion, but I'm waiting for them to come out to see what's happening with the figures. But yeah, I mean, we're all, we're, well, the paganism and all of its subsections, Druidry, Witchcraft, Odinism, all of that is, is becoming quite well known by everybody now. I mean, when I was young, you know, it was really furtive. You, 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 I remember putting an advert in a newspaper when I wanted to find some other pagans, and it was like things like 
friends of Gerald Gardner. I'm looking for friends of Gerald Gardner because you didn't you didn't go around saying things like witchcraft and and that was even more so true back in the uh, you know obviously the, the 50s and 60s. But that was still there in the uh, 90s and the late, late 80s and early 90s. There was still a bit of a reticent. So yes, but anyway, so this is my thing. I'll waffle on, you see. So <laughs> so uh, here be magic. Here be magic. Indeed. <laughs> Here be magic. When was this released? This was very recent. This it was, was uh, Beltane this year. Beltane this year, yeah. and it is published by Thoth Publications. Yes, yeah. is it? Yeah. Uh, Thoth, yeah. um and uh, very, very beautiful cover. Um, absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Ooh, uh, the people and practices of the Coven of Atho. Very interesting. What was <laughs> what? Is this your biggest book? This is really my, my only book. I mean, I've done a couple of little things before. Um, I've, got, I've got another little booklet about wild camping with children because going off in my camper van is one of the things that I love to do and go to nature reserves. But no, this this is really my, my first my first book. Uh, previously, I had written a couple of chapters for another book um, about 10 or so years ago, but it ended up, they were removed, um, long story. Um, so, um, so no, so this, this is really my, my, my main book really is your, Here Be Magic. Your biggest book. Yes, <laughs> your... <laughs> my, big, my biggest book and it was absolutely wonderful. Um, absolutely lovely to write it. So what was the impetus that presided this, uh, the writing of this book? So the impetus was back in around 2007, when I had access to all these news articles that were in Dwayne Valiant's scrapbooks, I, I mean, I've got an eye for the unusual stories. And I saw these few news, news clippings around this ritual in the woods in Charlwood. And I wrote a small article called The Coven of Atho and I sent it off to the cauldron. Mike Howard loved it. <laughs> and, um, you know, and he was saying, this is really brilliant and all that. And Mike Howard was very much in traditional witchcraft. Now, I'm not a traditional witch, right? I am of the Wicca. Um, but um, over the years, because it's, it's readable on my, on my website, my original article, although bits of it are wrong now, but anyway, over the years, when I'd get an inquiry from my website, it was often asking about the Coven of Atho. So I knew that there was an interest there. And occasionally I would see pictures of people's ritual circles and they'd have a picture of the head of Atho there. And I was thinking that really has captured people's imagination. Anyway, cut to 2010, I had my second child. And so I just went underground again and just went very quiet for about 10 years. And then beginning of last year, this country had just gone into another lockdown. And a friend of mine, Clive Parker, he sent me this little pin badge with a trident on it, which is one of the signs of the Coven of Atho. And he said, Melissa, why don't you write a bit more about the Coven of Atho? Well, many years ago, I'd actually promised Mike Howard I was going to write some more, but I had a child instead. <laughs> So uh, I thought, and I always felt, because I like, I try hard to be a woman of my word, and I always felt a bit, you know, disappointed with myself that I hadn't come through to Mike Howard, and of course he died a few years ago now. So armed with this little pin badge, I thought, oh yeah, go on then, you know, I'm not going anywhere, nobody's going anywhere for the next six weeks, I'll, I'll sit down, I'll have, I'll have a think, and I'll do something else. And it was originally going to be an article, but the muse was mighty. <laughs> It turned it turned into it turned into a total book. I became its total victim, <laughs> and I was just totally obsessed. And it was a very generous and very magical and very rewarding muse, and um, it just all started coming in. I mean, it was magical. The process itself of writing the book was magical. Um, I mean, finding the biography of, of Marjorie Goldsmith, I mean, I never in a million years thought that I would 
possibly discover anything about Charles Cardell in his youth because everything I had was from the 50s and 60s um, and I thought well you just got to accept Melissa you're not going to get back any earlier but oh no the muse had other plans <laughs> even the way I got that biography was totally freakish kind of almost one in a million sort of type type chance and and the whole story behind me writing it is is potted with really what I saw, I, I perceived as very magical moments and I felt that I was almost working with a muse that was, you know, and I was becoming a, its victim. I became its victim, really. You most certainly were. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. This book, it's a biography. It's not just one biography. No. It's several biographies. Yeah. Um, also, it is, or it contains what we would perceive as a, a book of uh, shadows or a, a sort of magical book in it mm -hmm. when you read this you can see the love that you put it into it because you really took care of the material and i think that that is absolutely obvious when you you read the first the introduction or the first you know it really is there so i recommend uh, reading this book to know a little bit. We're going to talk about some of the points, but um, if you want to know more, you know where to go. <laughs> you can buy the book in Melissa's um, website. So if you, and she already said the, the address. Um, so if you go there, uh, she will have books for you and she will be glad to sign them as well, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. If anything bought from my website, I can sign for them, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So, um, Two people, very interesting. Uh, this book talks about not only them, but um, some of them uh, are and the main characters, I would say. Um, Charles Cardell, right, also known as Rex Nemorensis, and uh, Ray Howard. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he was actually the owner or, of, uh, of the coven of Atho. Um, and um, also uh, the owner of the famous head of Arthur, which is <laughs> reportedly 2,000 years old. And we're going to talk about that as well. Did you learn anything from them while you're writing this book? I think my opinions on them certainly changed. Um, I mean, when I started writing the, writing the book, um, for example, the, the 1961 ritual, which is quite key to the book, I, I, was, I didn't know myself either way whether it really happened or not. I've just done this at the brief article in 2007. But by the end of the book, when I really got to know the characters of, of Ray Howard and, you know, Charles Cardell, I'm absolutely convinced, and I pulled in all the other evidence, I'm actually absolutely convinced it did happen. And I mean, it's just such an out there story. It's, I mean, with Charles Cardell, I mean, he's just, he was just wonderfully, I, I think probably eccentric, very British, very single-minded. But, but it wasn't an easy story to tell, especially in relation to Charles Cardell, because he was never, ever, ever going to refer to it as being witchcraft or, or that he was a witch. But yet, when we look at the description of what, what happened in 1961, it left me with no doubt, well, this would be recognised as a form of modern witchcraft. Well, I just really actually quite respected the fact that he just absolutely stuck to his guns. I mean, even when it, got, it ended up in the High Court case, he was not practicing witchcraft. No, they weren't. I mean, you had Mary Cardell standing there in court 
and they asked if they were practicing witchcraft. Never, 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 she shouted. And it's like, you just imagine this. I mean, this is a high court case. Not only that, it was overseen by a huge bigwig, um, Lord Justice Malcolm Stevenson, who'd actually been the barrister in the Ruth Ellis case, who was the last woman in this country to be executed. And, um, you know, and, and the, just, the Lord Justice Malcolm Stevenson actually went on to sentence the craze the following year. So, I mean, this story, I mean, it, it was just, I, I just, just such an amazing story and they were absolutely true to themselves. Now, I mean, I would like to think that they were adhering to a strict oath of secrecy, um, but I mean, it, it may just have been, they were just highly embarrassed and we're never gonna admit it anyway. But in my mind, I'd like to think they were being true to the oath, the traditional old fashioned oath of being secret and undergrounds. So, so yeah, so that's Charles Cardell. Ray Howard's a bit of a different story because I spoke to some of Ray Howard's relatives during the course of my research. And I actually, in the case of Charles Cardell, I actually tracked down relatives and they didn't know about each other. It's all in the book that's to do with Cardell's children. And I reunited them and, you know, and it just all fell into, you know, and, and information came for me. Clive Harper had some letters and stuff that he'd acquired and he sent me those. This was right at the beginning. He was teasing me. He said to me, why don't you write another Kevin Lacow take a look at this, Melissa? And it was like a letter from, um, from Charles Cardell to uh, Russell, Russell Hope Robbins, I think it is, who wrote the book, Cyclopedia Witchcraft and Demonology. And I'm like, you know, where, where did you get this from? And but the information was just all coming to me, but I'm sure there's more out there. <laughs> I'm on a quest. Anything, anybody, anywhere, anything to do. With Volume two out. coming up. You know, yeah. But uh, when we read about Charles, which is mm -hmm. thank goodness that you you had that information about his early years, because mm -hmm. so much can be read about this man that really, yeah. you know, we we know. Oh, that's why. So yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So, but what a beautiful romantic story that he had. Yeah, what a beautiful was, romance. It was yeah. so nice to it see. It is. It is lovely, and it was so exquisitely written up by by Marjorie Goldsmith. Um, it just, I mean, it was absolute gold mine um, coming across that. And I remember when I was seeking permission from um, who was effectively Charles Cardell's uh, granddaughter to use it, I was on tenterhooks thinking, is she going to let me use it? Is she going to let me use it? Because of course she, she could have said no, but she was like, no, you can use whatever you want. I'm like, yes. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, Marjorie was a, an English teacher and you can see that in her writing. And, and just as a woman myself reading her words, you know, some of the phrases she uses, you know, I think something like, it was as if angels were singing or something like that and describing her first kiss and she was delirious or with joy, I think she says. It was just lovely, lovely, lovely story. A first world war love story, and it was all there. <laughs> yeah. And then it came Mary. <laughs> yes, well, well, in between Mary, there was um, there was uh, Anna. And, Anna, um, yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, just uh, yeah, Anna, Anna Mary, yes. Anna Mary. Um, so yes, but I think they, they met. I think probably in Hastings, um, yes. and they had a child together. So that was Stephen. Um, but then later on, we get to Mary Cardell as well. Yeah. So they were never married. Um, Isn't Mary, that interesting? That never just, married. I, I, well, they said all oh, their brothers, or what was that they, they say? Were brothers, yeah, <laughs> but they, everybody 
you are brother and sister. I think <laughs> because because um, Charles had been married to Anna Mary, Anna Mary Walker, um, it was probably to do with, I don't know, probably that period of time. Um, and also Anna Mary tragically died in a, in a road traffic accident. So he perhaps just didn't see it so seemly as to perhaps marry somebody else. Um, I don't know. So they went around telling everybody that they were brother and sister, but, but they really weren't. Mary was a very hard one, and I, I'm not totally happy with, with what I've done with Mary because I couldn't, I couldn't even find her birth certificate. I know her date of birth. But the problem is when you go to Wales and you look for Mary Edwards's, there's a whole load of them. And although I narrowed it down to the area, I'd already spent like 60 or 70 pound on for birth certificates and none of them were matching up. And I thought, this is silly. I'm just chucking all this money because, I mean, the book was done on a budget of nothing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you know, if I'd been academia or something, maybe I'd had a grant, but I was doing it. And I thought, Melissa, you've just got to stop. But I would like, you know, perhaps to push a bit further with Mary. I think I got the impression she lived in Charles' shadow a bit. But we know that she was all part of it, as she was observed in 1961 um, and, and was in the court case as well in 67. I think yeah. that she was his true companion. That's what came out of the book. I yeah. mean, you know, I'm your pal. I'm here for you and I'm here for all of this. Even yeah. if I have to go to a high court and said, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing was, I mean, we understand she was a story, the daughter of a preacher. But what I found interesting in Charlwood, because I, in, I went and interviewed some people in Charlwood, there were rumours that she was actually the daughter of an archbishop, which would be very, would be very intriguing. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't substantiate, I couldn't substantiate it or find any evidence to support that. But it's uh, an intriguing thought. <laughs> That's very interesting, actually. Yeah. <laughs> if she turns out to be, <laughs> it would be. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> volume two. It's always yeah. volume two. Um, so. Uh, what was this about the uh, there was this productions um and it was magic productions Scott, yeah. uh, magic productions um that you talk about in the book which was um it was really interesting because it reminded me and he said well not really the same but uh i think that for the time this publication mm -hmm. was really, and then you have, you know, publications, you have stuff coming out of this productions. Yeah. This man is almost like the CEO of Magical, you know, Incorporated. <laughs> and at the time, which was, yeah. you know, you have to look at the time. There was nothing at the time. Very little was there um, in yeah. terms of publications, stuff that was talking about these things. Um, you know, and then you think he didn't like, to call it witchcraft because it has like all of these things around him that scream no 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 um so uh and it really was a, a very interesting thing to discover um that he was really a producer of magical occult you know content which is mm -hmm. you know it makes him you know how does doreen valiente come into this story because you know not only Doreen there's a lot of people but let's start with Doreen. Sorry, I mean I, I love Doreen she was absolutely you know fabulous yeah the, the um she was obviously intrigued I mean I think Doreen was on a lifelong quest to try and find 
you know, real witches and evidence of, of witchcraft surviving and things like this. So I, I understand, I think they first, um, I think Doreen really enters the picture as far as Charles Cardell's concerned, I think in 1958 in Light magazine, Charles Cardell um, did an article um, calling out two Wiccans, uh, which is, we won't go into terminology here, but yes, uh, it's a Wiccan spelled W-I-C-C-E-N-S. And he was he was asking, saying that um, this, this this whole tradition that their ways and their implements and things like this were getting lost, and he was making a call to try and unite them, and all that sort of thing. So Doreen then went and uh, met up with him, um, and I think she was initially fairly impressed. So I know she wrote a letter to Daffo, that's Edith Woodford, Woodford Grimes. Um, saying, you know, that they were worthy of their attention. I think later on, though, she, she fought, sort of fell out, fell out to, you know, I think she found Charles Cardell perhaps um, a bit bending the truth a bit too far because he tried to show us something and claiming it was old and she knew it wasn't. But anyway, but yeah, Doreen was really intrigued by, by Charles Cardell. And in fact, so much so that between 1960 and I think 1970s, I can't remember the years now, maybe even to the 1980s. Yeah, it would have been into the 1980s. She visited um, Dumblecott um, just to snoop around. It wasn't, she wasn't invited. She would get on the bus and she'd go and she'd have a good look around to see what she could see. And um her, her personal notebooks have got some recollections of this and, and they're, they're all in my, on my book. Um, but I, she was intrigued by them and on more so. And then Ray Howard enters the picture as well. And Ray Howard published the Coven of Atho Correspondence Course in 1962. Which, by the way, it's in the book. In it is, complete, yes. Complete. The course is in, in the book, yeah. <laughs> so the, the interesting thing with that is that it's clearly, as to me, it's clearly based on stuff that Charles Cardell was using and alluding to. You see, in Charles Cardell's house at Dumblecott, there was a septogram on the ceiling. Apparently the garden had lots of sort of statues and magical things. I mean, his house, the house at Dumblecott, was known throughout Charlwood for being a witch's house. And, um, you know, this was, this, and this goes back to the 1940s. And, you know, it was a sort of place that children would go and sneak around trying to see into, into the workshops and things like that. So it came clear to me that, because Ray Howard enters the picture because he originally worked as a handyman for Charles Cardell and Mary Cardell in the 1950s. And he probably got involved with their witchcraft, which Charles Cardell would call the, or his old, the old tradition. And, but there was later in 1961, there was a big falling out to do with Ray Howard's divorce from his first wife, Annie, and the Cardells gave evidence against Ray Howard. So then what seems to have happened is Ray Howard left, left the area, went back to Norfolk and then produced this Coven of Atho correspondence course. And, and also appeared around that time was the head of Atho. So I, it's, 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 it's quite complicated this, because I don't think the head of Atho was anything to do with Charles Cardell and Mary Cardell. I think the correspondence course was Ray Howard taking bits that he probably learned from Mary and Charles and adding the head of Atho to it and the, and the whole thing about Alicia Frank, which I'll leave it to the reader to decide whether they think that's genuine or not. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, but yeah, but so Doreen comes into the picture. So she did the 1962 course under Ray Howard and then she visited Charlwood. This is, this is a bit weird, this bit. In 1963, Ray, um, Ray Howard was no longer living in Charlwood, but he went back there and was staying at the Fox Inn. 
and he was there for about two months. And Doreen Valiente travelled from Brighton to visit visit them there at um, Halloween 1963. And we know she was initiated into the rank of sarsen, into the coven of Atho. Um, I mean, I'm really tempted to think that they might have used Charles Cardell's inner grove because Charles Cardell had a special area where he did his rituals. But I don't really know. But yeah, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's bit, no, no. It, it's really quite integrated because, and the book yeah. is so well written uh, because it, it, it actually goes through all of the bits and it connects very well. So it's not confusing at all. And, and, um, and not, you know, the other thing is that you have a chapter, a whole chapter, right, about the writings of uh, Charles um and mary's and uh but you you put that in there um because it is and you say that in in the introduction i think that it's best for people to know it them by their own hands and that is exactly what it is it's a piece of the articles they're all compiled in there and you can read it and you know that came from uh charles and mary's hands so you can yeah. know them a little bit and sense them a little bit more um, to, you know, what better way, other than photographs, what better way to actually, it's actually a better way uh, to actually know the person, right? To, to read their yeah. writings. It's, it's absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that was one of the good things about finding the Marjorie Goldsmith's biography, um, because we have all the stage magic side of things, because Charles Cardell came from a conjuring stage magic family. In fact, his father was in internationally known as, as a magical juggler. In fact, he's credited as being the creator of the Magical Juggling Act. And when you read his articles and you know a bit more about him from that biography, which is given in chapter one, you know, you can understand it better. You can, you know, where he's coming from sort of thing. So in one of the articles, he's debunking um, uh, tricks used by what he called fake mediums um, and, and things like that. He was in a really good position to debunk those because right. he'd been brought up do in that family and knew how it all worked. And that's one of the things I liked about it was that you had two types of magic coming together there through Charles Cardell. So you had the stage magic kind, and then you had his own magic spelt with a K. And and also not only that, I mean he was he was relatively well known. His father was certainly well known. But Charles Cardell himself did do some stage magic um, sort of tricks as well in his youth. But he was also fairly good friends with Tony Corinda, who is known in modern stage magic as being like the father of mentalism and wrote the book on mentalism. Um, and, and again, that, that's all evident in Charles Cardell's writings. You can kind of see that, that approach that he's taking there. But I, I loved it the way that when magic and magic came together like that. I thought it was it was really interesting because historically, I mean, it was it was they were hard to crack. Let me tell you, the stage magicians, <laughs> because historically they've never liked us occultists. Um, you know, really, I think it probably goes back to the days of spiritualism and things like that. Not that we're necessarily particularly spiritualists or or mediums. Um, so when I start, started to research that aspect, I went to a, a stage magic um, history forum. Uh, you know, and I say, you know, hello, I'm this, I'm, blah, blah. I'm trying to research this man, and he, he did some form of witchcraft, and I think that was where I made a mistake, I mentioned the word witchcraft, and there was just silence, nobody was responding to me, and um, so then I tried again, like a, a few weeks later, and I rephrased it, and then I struck gold again with uh, one of the stage magician magicians called Marco Pasterla, he started talking to me and he really knows his stuff. He's the editor of Yeldy Magic Mag, which looks at stage magic history. 
and he was immensely helpful um, with me tying together um, things like Tony Corinda and the Davenport family and um, sending me snippets Charles Cardell's um, early life when him and his father his father mainly produced um, a magical pastimes catalogue because in the 1900s they would sell stage magic things which unusually also sold books on astrology which um, Marco Pastella said would have been very unusual again suggestive perhaps of quite liberal uh, minded perhaps family uh, <laughs> I don't know but, but anyway yes so um, we talked about Doreen um, there's many other people that were involved in this story, and uh, one of them is Lois Bourne, which is uh, also one of Gardner's high priestesses, um, yeah. you know, along with Doreen, um, and Gardner himself as well. What was really uh, the, uh, you know, connection between... What was Gardner's uh, view of this? They became very antagonist to each other, didn't they, at some point? They did, and I think Charles Cardell was just incensed by Gardner, because Gardner was doing a lot of, and, and, and some of the Brickett Woodcoven as well in the late 50s, were doing a lot of talking, and they were in the newspapers. And I think this just absolutely incensed Charles Cardell, who, who I do think was trying to follow a secretive tradition in his own way. Um, I also think Charles Cardell had a big love for Egyptian things. In fact, he considered himself a reincarnation of the High Priest of Ra, if I remember correctly. And, um, and I think he considered that Gardner had misappropriated perhaps the sacred flail of Egypt. And, and he certainly wasn't at all into the concept of scourging uh, at all. And I think he was just incensed almost by it. Um, and add to that the fact that Charles Cardell really did not like the word witch. He saw it as an invention of the church and it was used to persecute people and that there was no such thing as witchcraft. But yet, when you read his book, and particularly in which, if you read between the lines, he is, I'm sure, he is alluding to his own old tradition, because he says something like, what if, what if, just suppose such a thing really existed? And he, I honestly think he's saying it does exist, but it's not this witchcraft. It's, you know, it's the old tradition. And um he just wasn't going to come out and, and sort of say that like that. But yeah, I mean, going back to, I mean, Gardner and Charles Cardell, I mean, they, they did, um, they did meet and the suggestion is they were originally fairly friendly. I mean, there is a suggestion that I've only got one piece of evidence for it, which is a letter from Robert Cochran to William Gray, where he says that Gerald Gardner actually initi initiated Charles Cardell. Now I could well believe that because Gardner was about getting everybody in as quickly as possible and trying to promote his, you know, the wicker and, and his, his path. Um, but I think they very quickly fell, fell out. I mean, also I spoke to Dayonis as well as part of my research. And she said that it was actually Gerald Gardner who sent her and Jack Bracelin, I think Fred Lamond as well, to go and check out Charles Cardell's suitability for possibly Brickett Wood. Well, they didn't like him, and there's a bit of story around that, which is, again is all, all in, in my book. So I don't know. It's possible Gerald Gardner did initiate um, Charles Cardell, but they very quickly uh, fell out. And in fact, it then really does become antagonistic because if you get fast forward to 1963, you've got the first Charles Cardell's Dumbledore Magic Productions uh, for the first time ever since 1899 republished Aradia, Gospel of the Witches by Charles Godfrey Leyland. And I think that was the first prong of a two pronged attack against Gerald Gardner and what, what Cardell was trying to say 
was, look, look, can you not see any similarity here between Arabia and some of this other stuff? And that was then followed in 1964 by Witch, which was the publication of what are the genuine rituals, not, not all of them, but most of them from the 1950s. And those had been obtained probably from Olwyn Green, although it is possible Gardner had given them to Cardell as well. I think Charles Cardell was just saying, look, this is just a load of nonsense. You know, I think he was that incensed by it, particularly the scourging. He, he really did not like the scourging. Uh, you know, I think he was he was just saying this is what this is what's happening. And Charles Cardell, from his perspective, he he could see pre high priestesses and whatever falling out and being replaced and and moaning and you know, all that sort of thing. Um, so you know, it's it was all bluster and fireworks and everything else. But I do think Charles Cardell had a perspective, and I, I think you know, I'd like to think that through here be magic i've been able to present that perspective because we all have our own perspectives by the way here be magic is an article that was written by cardell that you can yeah. read in the book as well <laughs> um, yes i think i think I did yeah you can yeah so you can actually read it originally because i think i put extracts from it in the book but it's um, it's also in his 1963 witchcraft with a k which is available facsimile editions are available from wishingbooks.org Magic with a K has a very beautiful story because he, he understood magical with a K in a very um, particular way. It was about love, wasn't it? Yes, he, he does. He does seem to. I think one of the phrases he used was um, magic is um, about reacting immediately and correctly to a situation without thought, speaking from the heart, not the head. Magic with a C is what intellectual people think magic with a K is. I mean, he also said that magic with a K was a romantic synonym for psychology. And I think that's where we're getting some insight into what his understanding of magic was, because he was also a psychologist. He didn't have any qualifications, but he practiced as a psychologist from consulting rooms on Queensgate in London. In my book, I, I concluded that magic with a K had nothing to do with Crowley. Purely because um, uh, Charles Cardell did a book review, I think, on one of John Simmons's books on Crowley. And it's very clear from the review that Charles Cardell did not like Crowley <laughs> or think much of him. Um, uh, it's, I can't remember now what, how he ended it, but I remember it's it's really funny review. And it <laughs> ends with some really quite amusing phrase. So, so yes, so, so magic with a K, although it's often thought of as, um, as being related to Crowley, um, strangely, Cardell owned it for himself. And also Margaret Bruce later on went on to own magic with a K. And I suggest in the book that Cardell probably influenced Margaret in that. But that's another story. <laughs> I have uh, the impression that, um, you know, looking at all of these people, and of course, you know, Cardell had in his camp, let's call it that mm -hmm. way, in his camp, um, two women that were absolutely standing by him without even flink, uh, you know, any, yeah. it was really, two warriors, Mary, and yeah. then later on, Olive Green, um, she had many names, Olive Green yeah. and all of that, but uh they were there for him. They did, you know, Olin Green just went in spying yeah. and she infiltrated yeah. the, you know, <laughs> and she came <laughs> back. <laughs> it's like, yeah. 
a spy story. It's just incredible. It, it is, yeah. The three of them consider themselves a band of investigators, basically, trying to debunk things. And uh, they were obviously, you know, trying to reveal the reality of what they believed the reality was of Gardner's witchcraft and that it was invented and, and based on Gardner's proclivities. And, um, you know, and, and to a degree, they, they do have a point. And, um, uh, but yeah, Ol Olwyn Green's quite, quite interesting. Um, another so she, biography. You have yeah, another biography there a little yeah, bit. There is, there, is a, there is a whole chapter on, on Alwyn Green in there, but she obviously came from money and had money. But what I didn't know and what nobody knew at the time was that they, she actually remained friends with the Cardells right through um, for decades. And when Mary Cardell died, I think it was 1984, um, Alwyn Green um, was one of the beneficiaries from Mary Cardell's will. So they really had stayed very close together. I'm not exactly sure exactly when they met, but both Alwyn Green and the Cardells were writing in light in 1958. But it's I don't know if how much earlier they might have known each other. This is a fascinating book uh, and, a, and a fascinating story. I mean, fascinating stories do write themselves sometimes. And um, I think that uh, you were actually um, inspired and you are a, a, a fantastic writer. It is almost like having you, you know, in front of us and uh, kind of explaining things, I think, blah, blah, blah. And I found blah, blah, blah. So it's really, it's a very nice book to read. It gives us sometimes uh, I think about this uh, book as um, the obscure obscure story that we're not we're, we're never told about <laughs> the other yeah. characters uh, maybe the rebels and you know but it really is uh, an amazing book you can buy it again on Melissa's uh, website um, what is it the website Melissa again <laughs> the wicker with one C dot co dot UK <laughs> and she will be delighted to sign one copy for you. <laughs> Melissa, thank you so much for being uh, in The Hidden Light and to give us your time and your generosity. Um, and thank you for being here. Thank you. <laughs>